Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Connecticut House Democrats podcast, where we take a deep dive into the laws, bills, and issues that affect the citizens of our state. I'm your host, Brian O'Connor, and this week we will be talking to State Representative Bobby Sanchez. Bobby has spent a lifetime in education, starting as a teacher's aide in the Head Start program, moving up to full-time teacher, and eventually serving on the New Britain Board of Education. Bobby was elected to the General Assembly in 2011 and now serves as the chair of the Education Committee. His position and experiences make him uniquely qualified to talk about the law that is the focus of this episode. SB 935, an act requiring the Office of Early Childhood to develop a proposed Early Childhood Educator Compensation Schedule. Basically, What this law does is create a fair pay schedule to ensure that early childhood educators, a notoriously underpaid yet incredibly important profession, are paid their worth. Let's get into it. All right, I am here with Representative Bobby Sanchez. How are you? Good, Ryan. Uh, Doing really good. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Um, So the reason I want to have you here is that you have a long history of fighting for early childhood education, specifically the Head Start program. Could you speak a little bit about your experiences and background in early childhood education? Oh, definitely. Um, Gosh, it goes back to the late 1970s when I started as a, a teacher's aide in the Head Start program. Um, I just fell in love working with children and, um, I, at the time was the only male, um, teacher's aide. There were no teachers. There were no teacher assistants that were, um, men. Um, I was the only male, um, and kids tend to gravitate to the guys because we, you know, I, I, for some reason they just tend to do that. Um, cause it's, it it is a profession that's mostly female. Mm -hmm. Um, although I would like to see that changed, um, but um, I started off as a teacher's aide and then just moved up the ranks to teacher assistant, teacher. And um, I taught for almost 20 years with the Head Start and daycare programs um, between the city of New Britain. And I did um, close to th- like three years in the city of Hartford um, with another nonprofit. Um, and then I um, noticed that Salary wise, and this is one of my biggest issues when it comes to preschool education, uh, many of the teachers um, and teacher assistants that work in this profession, um, particularly if they are um, state funded programs, um, they are the lowest paid teachers. And so um, unfortunately, I at the, at the time I was getting ready to raise a family and I could not stay in the profession because it was the salary was just not there. Right. But it's dear to my heart. Um, I love working with children. I think it's so important um, when we're talking about the development of the brain at that age. And um, you can do so much to teach children and to prepare them for elementary schools and and so forth. And statistics have shown um, that when you teach kids at this age, um, they are more likely to graduate from high school, they are more likely to go to a college or to take a trade. Um, they are more likely to stay out of the correction system. So, so many good things that come out of this. I just um, wish we can expand on it. Right. So digging into that a little deeper, 
since there are so many studies that show the lifelong benefits of early childhood education programs, why do you think it is that as a society, we don't really recognize the importance of funding these programs? I, you know, I think it comes down to educating people, particularly even here in, in the House and in the Senate, educating some of the, uh, my colleagues um, about the importance of early childhood. Um, I know in the past when we have brought out legislation on the House floor, um, you would hear some really funny questions in regards to early childhood and having some side conversations with some of the legislators. Um, I think their understanding of early childhood is, is not up to par to what we, where we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, so today, um, we have different, different benchmarks. We have, um, curriculum. Um, we are actually teaching these kids, um, social skills. Um, they're coming out of preschool, um, knowing basic numbers and colors. And, um, you know, we, we talk, we touch up on science skills as well. Um, and, and I would imagine in the past, and we're talking about way back in the past, um, it was basically seen as a place to drop off your child and, and you have babysitting. Um, basically the person that was there was babysitting your child for the, for six or eight hours while you were at work, you drop them off, you pick them up after, and that's it. You had somebody there to babysit your child. Well, it's not that way anymore. It's more of, um, really teaching these kids, particularly the social skills. Um, if you can see a huge difference, a child going to a preschool program and going into, um, kindergarten per se, um, you'll see the social skills are, are, there's a huge difference. You'll have a child that maybe has never been in a um, school setting, a preschool setting, and it's harder for them to let go of their parents and you have the criers and yep. um, during the first couple of weeks of school. Um, and you see that difference when a child is in a preschool going into a kindergarten classroom where sometimes the kids will say to their parents, okay, mom, thank you. See you later. You know, it's like, They've been there. They've done that. They're going right into school. Um, it's, it makes the transitioning so much easier for these kids. Um, you also hear from many of the uh, uh, kindergarten teachers that you can also see a difference of a child, a child that has been in preschool versus a child that has not been in preschool. A child that's been in preschool comes in almost really prepared. Mm-hmm. Prepared to sit down, to listen to music, to look at books, to read books. Um, literacy skills, science skills, math skills, all that, they're prepared. Um, and that's why I think it's so important. But it's its down to really educating people because we, I strongly believe that in across the United States, um, we should have universal pre-K. It should be something that's mandated. Um, where, where right now we're talking about quality pre-K, pre-K services and um, we tend to send these teachers and, and tell these teachers that they have to get their associate's degrees, that they have to get their bachelor's degrees. Um, and then many of them have to get certified in order to get into the public school system. But we're not really, you know, as long as we're pushing them on these issues of quality care, but we're not paying them. Yeah. And that's why you don't get many teachers that are um, applying to these four-year colleges to get a preschool uh, degree. It's because they know that at the end of the tunnel, they're not going to see the pay unless they get certified and go into the public school sector, right. which public schools do have preschool services, but their teachers are paid at a higher rate. 
Um, so I think it's all about educating uh, my colleagues and educating people that um, preschool is very important. And um, and the development of the brain that that child at that moment is so um, critical. Um, you can teach a child in preschool five to six languages. Yeah. And they will pick it up a lot quicker than waiting until they're in high school to take a, a foreign language. Right. They're like sponges. They're very, they're, their brain is a sponge. And, um, and one of the things that I've done also is work with um, fathers in the Fatherhood Initiative Program where I take my child development skills to them and I tell them how important it is for them to read to their child, how important it is for them to, to be role models around their children because of the fact that these kids... Their brains are sponges. They are just taking in all that information. And these kids are also looking at your facial expressions. Mm -hmm. They're also looking at how you interact with other people. And so you wonder sometimes, too, to, in today's world where you've got kids that um, probably are not going to preschool, but um, are in environments where they're seeing um really tough times um, where they're they're either growing up in a really poor environment or they're in an environment where um, parents are going through domestic violence issues or so forth. And then you get these behaviors going into the public, public school system. Mm -hmm. and, and now you have the public school system trying to deal with some of these behaviors of these kids. And I'm not saying that they're all behaviors are due to domestic violence or separation issues or so forth. But, but uh, if we start looking into what's um, setting off these behaviors in the public school system, you'll find out that um, some of these things have to do with the environment that they grow up in. And so it's so important to teach our parents as well um, that their children should be going into a preschool setting because there are parents out there that don't want to send their kids to preschool. Yeah. Um, but it's not a lot. Um, I, I hear from a lot of individuals in my community where they like to see more preschool services. It's just that we don't have the funding for those services. So why do you think some people wouldn't want to send their children? I think um, um, some people would just like to um, raise their children on their on their own time, Okay. Um, providing that they have that time. Um, but what we're seeing as of late is that more and more parents have one to two jobs in mm -hmm. order to make um, ends meet, um, to pay bills. And so there is more of a need for preschool services and particularly services that start very early in the day and some some services that are are like after school programs where they can keep their child in the um, a preschool setting until like seven or eight o'clock in the evening. Because like I said, do you have parents now that are not just working one job, they're working two jobs. Right. And um, and some of these parents don't have families to rely on that they can drop it off, drop their child off to a grandmother or to an aunt or an uncle or someone that would be able to take care of their child while they're doing a second part or a part-time job. So um, there is more and more of a need for preschool services. And um, I'm also seeing more of a need for infant toddler care. Um, that's something that we really need to focus down the road. Infant toddler care is so important. I, I can almost guarantee you that if across the state we expanded infant, infant toddler care, that we would fill every slot available because yeah. there are communities um, such as New Britain. I've, I've, I've heard from different directors where they have a waiting list for toddler care of 50 to 75 children waiting on a waiting list. Wow. But they can only provide a service for like 30 children because that's what they have sure. available. Um, 
And so I think that's something that the state really needs to start looking into and the federal government as well. Um, you know, you mentioned about Head Start. Yes, you know, um, Head Start, that's where I started my profession in Head Start. And um, Head Start is so unique where you have social workers that go out and do home visits and teachers are mandated to do at least two home visits a year. Um, and it's so important for you to be able to get into these homes and talk to the parents and at the same time, it's not that they're going in there to see how you live, but they're going in to, to, to let you know that there are services available to you in case you need a service. And I'll give you an example. When I was a teacher for many years in the Head Start program, I would do home visits twice a year, once around um, these, uh, September and October. And then at the end of the year, just to do some follow-up work with the parents and let them know where their child is um, economic, I mean, um, educationally. Um, so, um, during some of these visits, I would notice that the parents were not, were living in a very poor environment and maybe they had, um, they weren't, um, knowledgeable about how they can complain to the health department about, uh, uh, a roach infestation or, or rats in the house or, cause sometimes, you know, you, you do rent from some landlords that are not, that don't take care of their properties. And so just to advocate to them and let them know that there are services and there are people that you can go to, to take care of that issue so that you don't have to live in those conditions. And, and, and so sometimes parents look at it like, oh, you're, you're getting into my private space. You're getting into my, um, um, you know, you're into interfering with my life. Yeah. No, it's not about that. It's about working with you, about advocating for your child and about advocating for you and, and, and letting you know what those services are out there. Cause you may not know all the services out there. Um, we've connected, um, parents to energy assistance programs, weatherization programs, if they have their own homes where, you know, there's organizations that come in and they weatherize your, your windows for the yeah. winter. So, so a lot of things that we can share with parents. And I think that's so important, so unique about the Head Start program that I wish they, that everyone else would, would take that as an example. And, um, and if we ever get into universal pre-K, I think it's crucial that these, um, programs have social workers that can also work with the parents, not just the children, but with the parents. Right. Right. Um, so getting back to, uh, SB 935, um, what it does is it creates a compensation schedule. Yes. Um, could you expand a little bit on that? Like what, what it actually does, uh, how it would be implemented? Um, so this is a bill that I fought uh, for in the past, uh, I don't know, three to four years that I've tried to bring it out uh, on, in committee. It, hit, it did come out of committee and sometimes it, it, it would die up in the Senate or it wouldn't go anywhere. Um, but last year we did finally get it out as a study. Um, where, and, and we could attach some finances to that, but, um, we just don't have the money right now. Um, but as a study, it came out where the, um, the Office of Early Childhood, the commissioner and a group of, um, of her and staff would, um, come up with a way of how we would compensate our teachers in a state funded program. So the state does fund numerous um, programs throughout the state of Connecticut, um, and they are daycares or they are school readiness programs. Um, so we mandate these programs to bring their teachers 
up to a level of quality where they have to have their um, CDA, which is a credentialing. Um, I believe you have to have like 18 college credits in, in early childhood development. And then you have the associate's degree where you, you would have an associate's in early childhood development and then your bachelor's degree. Um, and for the last three or four years that I've been up here, we had been pushing those dates back for those requirements. Um, the, the last year we pushed the date from 2025 where all head teachers had to have their bachelor's degrees. We pushed it to 2029. Um, I hate doing that. I don't like doing that. But if we continue not to fund these programs where they can pay these teachers, we're going to lose these teachers. And that's what's happening throughout the state of Connecticut. You have a lot of directors that are reporting that they have this um, amount of teachers that come into the to um, their programs. Um, many of them will reach their associate's degree or their bachelor's degree levels, and then they s- decide to go elsewhere. Um, you have teachers that have started off with their associate's degrees and say, hey, you know, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to get my bachelor's degree, but you know, what level of income am I going to get moving forward? Am I going to be stuck at $30,000 a year with a bachelor's degree? Or am I going to make that 48 to 50,000 where the public school systems are paying these teachers, certified teachers, that, that type of salary. And when you tell them, well, in, at the state level, you know, there is no money to increase your salary. Well, many of these teachers say, well, guess what? Then I guess maybe I won't stay in this field. Maybe I'll go into nursing. Maybe I'll go into a trade. Um, and you can't blame them. Yeah. You can't blame them because if they're not going to make what they they should be making, um, a, a really decent salary if you're teaching our youngest children in, in a preschool setting. So um, this compensation set schedule will then um, hopefully, um, they're supposed to report to us by the end of this year. Um, so there's really not much we're going to get done this session, but hopefully by next session, the um, commissioner and the staff will come up to us and say, hey, this is what we figured out uh, that a teacher should be making at a CDA level, a teacher should be making at a associate's level, and what they should be making a, at a bachelor's level. And if we can get that, where we can boost those salaries, then maybe we can get more people interested in getting into the field um, because we're, le- we're seeing low, low um, enrollments at um, schools such as CCSU and Southern and Eastern um, getting into the preschool field. And it's because of that, the, the, the compensation. We were not paying them what they should be paid. And that's always been um, one of my biggest concerns up here as a state rep and, and on the education committee, that's something that I've always advocated. We need to do something about that. We need to get more people in, into that um, profession. And, um, and we're not seeing that. And I like to get more men into that profession. But, but guess what? If you're raising a family, you're not, you can't survive. A family of three is not going to survive pretty well on $30,000 a year. It's just not going to happen. Right, I right. mean, the average here in the state of Connecticut, if I'm not mistaken, is like $58,000 for a family of three. Um, and, you know, it's expensive to live in Connecticut. So um, let's do something about boosting that compensation for these teachers. All right. Well, uh, hopefully once the study comes out, uh, we could have you back on the podcast. You could kind of explain where things are at that point. Um, thank you so much for coming on. It was great having this discussion. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. There you have it. 
an important conversation about an important piece of legislation. I want to thank you for listening to the Connecticut House Democrats podcast. Join me again next episode when I talk to State Representative Greg Haddad about the PACT plan, otherwise known as Debt-Free Community College. Until then, keep it steady, everyone.